You're listening to a podcast from Turners Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. So we're going to talk about money, and money somehow seems a bit grubby, a bit unspiritual, maybe. We've got that feeling, don't we? That sometimes talking about money in a spiritual context is not somehow appropriate, it's something best left unseen and unmentioned in church. Um, it's a cause of feeling guilty. Anyone ever feel accused about how they use their money? Or guilty about it? Okay, well, all right. Just me then. Thank you. <laughs> um, you can be guilty for having money. You can feel guilty for being in debt. Money can be a source of friction in the church. You know, we're one family and all barriers are broken down. There's no other slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, rich nor poor, but we all come from different backgrounds and it can be, a, you know, that intermingling of people can be a source of, of friction. So maybe we're right to, um, to be suspicious about it. I wonder if actually, I was thinking about this, it's very uncommon now to have a collection plate, especially in new, new churches. You ever noticed that? A lot of churches don't have a collection. If you go to like a traditional church, you have a liturgy and so on, they have a, a collection plate. But like we don't have one. And there's this kind of feeling like, you know, maybe it's old-fashioned or a bit inappropriate or somehow, or like we're asking people to give and that may not be the right thing to do or something. Anyway, whatever the reason is, I think there's some sense that it makes us uncomfortable. And yet for Jesus, money is profoundly spiritual. It guides our hearts, he says. You know, where your heart is, there your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it guides our hearts. It can seal our faith before God, as you find in the verses after this, the rich man of Lazarus. It's an excellent barometer of our spiritual health. And it's apparent, this is especially apparent in Luke's gospel, the spiritual nature of money. Jesus begins no fewer than six of his parables with the words, or the theme, a certain rich man. So it's like, it's really big, and Luke is really picking up on it. And this parable addressed to the disciples. Um, he was talking to the Pharisees in the previous chapter. We had the lost coin, the lost sheep, and we jumped over the story of the prodigal son. But, uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and those who were grumbling about Jesus interacting and showing hospitality to the lost. Now he's talking to the disciples. Um, it's all about a rich man whose household, his business affairs, were handled by an employee. So you have to jump a little bit. You have to use our imagination to get into the context. He was very wealthy, so wealthy that he had someone to ma- manage his, not just his home, probably a farmstead, maybe business affairs. He would negotiate contracts for him. He would take on debts or uh, lend to others. And this manager was either an exalted employee or more likely he was a, a slave because he had no independent wealth of his own, we find out later in the story. So he had nothing to fall back on if he lost his job. Um, so he was a slave. Now, it's not slavery like we're used to. so a different form of slavery, but nonetheless, that's probably what he was. And this manager was dishonest. There's no question about that. I mean, you, there are some people who read this story and they think, oh, is he being generous? Is he using his legitimate authority to cancel the debts of others? No, he's being dishonest. And it makes that very clear because it says in verse 8, that Jesus actually says, this dishonest manager in verse 8. He, he, what he actually does is when he finds out he's in trouble with his manager, he forges, uh, he, he 
basically does a, the first century equivalent of a forgery with the people who owe debts to his master. And he implicates them in the forgery because he gets them to write down how much they owe. He asks them the question. He gets them to change the, the promissory note, if you like. And so they're implicated. And he's kind of got them. You know, they've committed fraud. He, he's committed fraud too, but they owe him one. So this is criminality. There's really no doubt about that. Um, he's not a nice guy. He, he was uh, accused of squandering his master's wealth, and you know he doesn't defend himself against that accusation. So he's probably living. He's probably taking advantage of his power to get. You know, it's probably some of these debts that people owe because he's taking advantage of them. Um, and he's perhaps a little spoiled as well. He's not particularly virtuous man. He's doesn't have the strength to dig, so he's probably a bit weak, probably because of his luxurious lifestyle, and he's too proud to beg. So not a great example. Or is he? And that's the really weird thing about this parable, isn't it? Here is this guy who Jesus is unapologetically portraying for us as not good. And then in the parable, it says the master literally... The Lord, I mean, it doesn't mean his master, but Jesus is sort of, you know, he's invoking this idea that somehow God is actually saying something positive too. The master commends him for how shrewdly he's behaved. He secures, you understand what's going on? He's going to be destitute. So he makes friends by lowering these debts. He ties them in by kind of getting them to commit fraud. So that when he loses his job, he's got something over people and he's got people who are perhaps grateful to him as well. And the master says, that's great. Well, you know, you ripped me off, but I commend you for your shrewdness. And then Jesus says, you have to be like that. Anyone else a little bit uncomfortable right now? (laughs) It's weird, right? It's really, really weird. Make use of worldly wealth, dishonest wealth. Uh, What's the King James Version? I remember it's slipped my mind. Um, Oh, unrighteous mammon. That was it. (laughs) Make use of dishonest wealth to secure for yourself uh, friendships and influence and so on, um, so that you might be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And, he, and Jesus has this, this contrast between um, the people of this world and the children of light. And he's saying they find it easier. You guys find it hard, but you have to be like that. What is going on? What's going on? <laughs> actually, actually, you know, it's, it's not it's not that complicated. I'm, I'm making a big deal of it. It's really not. It's it's kind of an argument, in a way, from the lesser to the greater, which you, which you get a lot in scripture. But we can sum it up really simply like this: Jesus is basically saying, even a wicked man, motivated by fear and greed and laziness and pride, and is shrewd in his use of money, and manages to bless some people and win some friends. How much more should you, as Christians, be shrewd in your use of money? You understand? It's that contrast. He's a wicked man who manages to bless some people and friends and friends, motivated by all the wrong factors. We are Christians motivated by Christ. How much more should we be able to achieve? That's it. That's really it. It's shrewdness, very, very clear from the passage, but shrewdness that Jesus is commending. He wants us to be shrewd. What is shrewdness? It is an energetic and intelligent and urgent and imaginative approach to things. That's what it is. It's, it's, 
It's not just being careful with your money. It's, it's kind of pushing, 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 always to make the most of a, of a situation. It's using your brain, using your heart, really engaging with things, throwing yourself into something to make the most of a situation. That's what it means to be shrewd. And that's what this guy does, isn't it? He's in a desperate fix. He throws himself into it. It's really clever. It's really clever. He makes the most of his situation. That's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. You should make the most of the situations God puts you in. And shrewdness, and what Jesus does here is so clever, shrewdness like money can seem very unspiritual. Because we feel somehow that the spiritual life is better when lived passively. But God doesn't want passivity. Yes, the Lord always takes the initiative, but he doesn't want passivity. He wants us to respond with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. And shrewdness is actually really that. It's using all your heart and mind and soul and strength to make the most of the situation you're in. And you see this all throughout Scripture, that being shrewd is... Commended again and again. I mean, Proverbs 8 5 sums it up. I, wisdom, which is like wisdom personified is talking, says, I share a home with shrewdness. So you couldn't get a higher commendation really than, than that in the Old Testament. But the, the person that came to mind as I was preparing this was Jacob, who was this kind of, you know, his name means kind of the trickster, the tricky one, you know, he's, he, but it, it, he had some bad consequences, but he had some good consequences. He made the most, he was always pushing to make the most of his situation. And it got him into some scrapes, and it got him into some blessing too. So we have this great tradition of actually this is something that the people of God should be really good at. You get a feel for where God's coming from in this, where the Lord was coming from in this passage. You feel where it might go. <laughs> Let's have a look. So even though we're living heavenly lives. Jesus says we're children of the, of the light. He's using this deliberately uh, evocative language to say, look, you're not the children of this age, but the children of the age to come, the age of the Messiah. The, you know, we're living with heaven now, coming into the world. Even though you're living these heavenly lives, we're encouraged to be shrewd, especially with our money. Especially with our money, because somehow there's this intersection of money is a great... Uh, like I said, barometer of our spiritual lives. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a great steer for our hearts and so on. And he, essentially, in this parable, he gives us three kind of points of contact with the shrewd and dishonest manager. Three points of contact where we can either contrast or build on his experience. Um, and these three kind of ways this parable talks to us, they're kind of escalating in importance of why we should be shrewd. The first one. The first reason we should be shrewd, especially with money, is the issue of justice. Justice. The wicked manager is called to account. He's going to have to give, he's going to have to give an account of himself. What is Jesus doing? What day is he conjuring up in the minds of the disciples, remember? When, the day when we're called to give an account of ourselves, isn't he? This is, this is language about the day of judgment, when we stand before God and give an account for our actions. And if we are, Let's say fair, if we're just kind of like, that'll do, if we're lazy or thoughtless about our attitude towards money, God will hold us to account about it. Now, remember, this is the first step. This is the least important reason why we should be shrewd about our finances. We're going somewhere a little bit nicer after this. However, here is the foundation. God will hold us to account for how we use our money. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
God wants us to be intelligent and urgent and energetic and imaginative in blessing others because God will hold us to account. For most of us, it's not active dishonesty. It is just being a bit laid back or thoughtless about it. For most people. I say most people, you know, I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to our culture, really. We live in a society where we have that luxury of not having to worry too much for lots of different reasons. You might be pushing back right now and go, oh, Jeff doesn't know my circumstances. But just hear what the Lord is saying, okay? Hear what the Lord is saying. James, of course, puts this most clearly, I think, in the Holy Scripture, James 5. And, you know, this is like, this is like a body blow, really, this passage. James 5. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the ways you fail, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. This is the one. This is the most powerful. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. That is powerful, isn't it? You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. And it's lack of activity. James saying, you have not done this. You have not done that. It's not active injustice in terms of like deliberately going out, you know, changing, <laughs> forging stuff. It's, it's passivity. And, and, and I think James's warning and the Lord's warning, implicit in this parable, it hits home because it is a hassle to think and act in ways that are fair and decrease justice. You know, because when we look at it, you look at the global issues or even close to us or even personally, our actions seem to make so little difference to situations that you kind of have that feeling like, what's the point? What difference am I going to make? You think of things like fair trade and that sort of thing, you know? It's like, does it really make a difference? Or problems are so entrenched or so convoluted, like the problem of poverty isn't just about money, is it? You know, you can't just fix poverty by giving people money. And it's, you know, we think about that, it's complicated. It just makes us want to back off and say, do you know what? It's, it's too, it's too hard to get involved in. I'll just, we'll just leave it. Maybe I'll pray every now and then when I remember when it's like, um, Christian aid day or something like that. <laughs> and let, let the professionals worry about it. And it is hard. And it's even harder when your bellies are full and your house is warm. And life is easy. And yet God again and again and again says, calls us to a life of shrewdness, activity, energy about addressing injustice with our money. And again and again he reminds us that he is on the side of the poor. That if we neglect the poor, if we neglect that duty, if we just don't do anything about it, we are effectively taunting God. The Bible uses language that strong. So here's this this first warning in the passage. If nothing else will move us to shrewd action with our money, then fear of God's judgment must move us. This is step one, but it's there. One day we'll look into the face of the one who made himself nothing, who grew up in poverty, who saw his own family, his mother even, struggling with the very hard realities of not having what we have. The one who sees every slave's tear at the end of a hard day, who hears every hungry person's prayer. We will see him face to face and we will have to give an answer. Shall 
not. He's not like that master. He's not hard. Like the master, he's gracious. He understands our reasons. He knows sometimes it is hard and we really don't know what to do. He knows that we're paralyzed by indecision about things. He knows that sometimes we don't have the strength of will. He, you know, he's gracious. But we will have to give an account. We'll have to be able to stand with his eyes piercing our soul, everything transparent and every hidden word and motive displayed. And we will have to give an account. And God calls us to live in the light of that. So that should weigh heavily on us. Even with the grace, you know, it's there. The second reason to be true, let's go up a step. The second reason to be true to other money is that it actually makes sense. To live by kingdom principles actually makes sense. You know, first of all, generally, to be energetic, to work hard, and all that sort of things. You know, this, the Proverbs is full of warnings about being lazy with our money. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like a thief. You know, behold the ant, O oh sluggard. That's one of my faves, sorry. At least twice a year I have to mention that. <laughs> But, you know, it's not just working hard. It's also living by kingdom principles. Scripture reminds us again and again and again of the uncertainty of wealth. It's saying, look, you know, money is often, well, not these days, it's little plastic, you know, slips. But money, historically, is weighty. It has that feeling of, like, it's solid. You know, it's going to look after me. And actually, even the word mammon, this is the Aramaic word for, for money that Jesus uses, actually means the thing you put your trust in. It has It's the same root as our men. It has that sense of, Weightiness, you know, it feels trustworthy. And the Bible says again and again and again, money will not look after you. It can disappear like that. Rust destroys, moth eats away, thieves come steal, you know, hoaxes ring you up and trick you into giving them your bank details. Economies fail, shares plummet, you know, people rip you off, uh, people promise you stuff and it doesn't come through. You know, families turn against one another. Money will not look after you. I get an amen for that. <laughs> Money won't look after you. It really feels like it will, but it will not. True wealth lies in using money according to kingdom, the kingdom's principle of love. The kingdom's principle of love. Now, it's easy to spiritualize that. What it, I, it's not just that God rewards us when we live by his principles. It's not just a kind of like, well done, you followed the rules. Here's a mysterious check through your front door. Although, praise God, that really does happen, amazingly. And many of us will give testimony to, to God's provision in miraculous ways. It's not just that God rewards our faith in that sort of way. It's also that it's built in that actually love, living by the principles of love, is substantially better. When <laughs> a society that uses people to get things is incredibly fragile. <coughs> And that is kind of what our culture faces. We use people to get stuff. A life that uses people to get stuff is incredibly fragile. I remember um, I, when I used to fix computers in London, I went to a posh house in Clapham, and there was this guy there. He quit his job and was setting up a business trading on the stock exchange from home. Back when that was kind of new, and now you can just like sign up in two minutes and do it. Don't recommend it, but you can. Um, 
and he was just setting up and he was getting into all his computer stuff. And, you know, he got chatting about what he's doing and he was terribly excited about everything. And he gave me a book about a guy called Jesse Livermore. He was a stock trader in the first half of the 20th century. He was incredibly successful at short selling. Anyone know what short selling is? Stick your hand up if you do. Right, okay. Okay. Short selling is basically when... Oh, I didn't mean to explain this. I'm going to have to do it off the top of my head. <laughs> but you know, normally, if you buy, if you buy something, on the, uh, buy a stock, and then what you hope is it will go up in value, right? And then you sell it when it's worth more. Well, short selling is where you buy a stock when it's... Hang on a second. <laughs> when it's going to go down in value. And then you pay for it when it's gone down in value. And so you're basically, you're betting, essentially, you're betting on businesses to fail. So you're betting against people's interests. And you often make huge amounts of money, but other people lose a lot of money because of it. And uh, it can cause massive crises. It can even affect whole economies. Anyway, this guy made loads of money short selling. So he wasn't a great guy. But he get this, uh, the guy I was visiting, was like, he was like, listen, you need to read this book. It'll change your life. And I read it, and this guy, he made billions, and he lost billions. And then it finishes with him committing suicide. And he leaves his, his note, his suicide note, is, my dear Nina... I can't help it. Things have been bad with me. I'm tired of fighting. I can't carry on any longer. This is the only way out. I'm a failure. 1940. And he shot himself in his office. And the guy who gave me this book was like, this is, this is the pattern I want to base my life on. You should too. You know, it's like, have you, have you read it right to the end? <laughs> but that's, you know, that's it. If we use people to get stuck, it is, it seems good, but it's actually incredibly fragile. It leaves us isolated because all those broken relationships. It leaves us, you know, well, isolated is enough, isn't it? I was going to give you a list, but actually it's enough. Isn't it? We're just alone. Like Scrooge McDuck on his big pile of gold coins, for those of you who know what I'm talking about. <coughs> so, we don't use people to get stuff, but we can use our stuff to get people. What a difference it makes when we invest in love when we invest in relationships with the things that God has given us, we build up, and this isn't super spiritual. Well, it is, but it's like, you know, it's real too. We build up a network of relationships. If you help someone in who's desperate, they're going to be your friend. I mean, it sounds pretty straightforward, right? They're going to be grateful, and that builds a, a connection. And you have to build on that connection with real, you know, investment of time and love, that sort of thing. If you spend time blessing people, Doing those things, you know, it, it makes you rich in a true sense. It gives you a, a kind of security that money cannot give you. You know, that's why Jesus compares, you know, the, the life and the church, the inheritance we have in the church. If you give up, you know, this in this life, you'll get a hundred times more in this life. You know, in this life and in the age to come. You see, when we use our wealth to bless people. We build friendship and loyalty and security and we create goodness and beauty and peace and as you love people, people love you. And there's nothing more secure in earthly terms than that love. Now, people let us down and churches go wrong. And, you know, yeah, it's not a bed of roses and maybe you're thinking, you know, it's not perfect because everything in this life is broken. But it's a whole lot more perfect than the illusory Security of wealth. True? There's a good reminder in there. Some of you have made 
financial, economic sacrifices for the kingdom. And, and there are times when that pinches. And when you think, and you look back and you think, did we do the right thing? Is that a right choice? You know, we sacrificed this, we sacrificed it. Maybe the implications for you or your family. And God would remind you. He's no man's debtor. No man's debtor. He gives to the poor, lends to God. And that's really what that meaning. Jesus says to be welcomed into eternal habitations. He's not just talking about what happens when you die. There's going to be loads of people in heaven going, oh, you were so nice to be back. <laughs> and the life is just gone. It's so nice to see you again. It's that, that eternal life of heaven, that perfect love that exists between people will begin to, they're welcoming you. Heaven will begin to break into the love. So that's the second step. So fear should motivate us. Justice should motivate us. But also just wisdom. It makes sense to invest our money, to be shrewd, to, to use our, everything within us, to use our money well. We're We've gone up two steps. What's the third one? What's the biggest reason to be shrewd with our money? Love. Love. Love, of course. Love should squeeze everything out of us. Shouldn't it? To have to do that because you're, to have to manage every penny because you're poor or because you're a Scrooge. That's horrible but to want to do it because you want to bless other people as much as you can. That is beautiful. We talked right at the beginning, I talked about that kind of well, kind of feeling we get about money and it kind of really feels unspiritual. I always think, you know, it's worth exploring that feeling. Like most of our, I've talked before about sin in us or it's like it's like a buried treasure. Like when you find something in you that kind of jars with God's word and you're like, why is that there? It's worth digging it up and looking at it. And often like a buried treasure, actually, if you once you get rid of all the dirt, underneath you find something that's actually quite beautiful and makes sense. So often our sin is kind of a distorted version of something good. Actually, it's right to be careful about our attitude about, about money, about not getting drawn in. There's risk here in being shrewd with our finances. And Jesus highlights that at the end. He talks about no one can serve two masters. Money is its a powerful draw for us. It's very easy to, once you start counting the pennies, if you like, or really being careful about how you use your money, it's very easy to get drawn into a, a kind of a mindset where generosity isn't your goal. We can worry that if we think too much about our finances, we're going to be distracted from what's most important. That's a real risk. It can make us competitive. It can make us feel like, you know, you've got to do better than the next person just to, get, just to be better than them. Like if you, say, if you use your money in business, for example. And that's not a great thing either. And so there's a risk of once you, if you're really careful with your money and then suddenly you find actually you've got quite a lot more of it than you realized or that you were planning to have. There's a risk that you'll actually just use it selfishly because once you've got it, it's really hard to let go of it. So there's risk. But what's our third reason? Love. Love takes risks. Love takes risks. The highest calling 
that we have, that God calls us to, is to give ourselves completely. To give ourselves completely. That's love. It's not enough to be, to kind of have a spirit of love. It has to be expressed specifically. You know, that's why the Bible gives us that expression to understand God's own love as spirit and word. The spirit, the breath of God becomes something definite. It takes definite action, has meaning and has effects. You know, I was thinking about this, um, it came to my mind earlier this week. I was thinking about, I think it's in the Psalms where it says, beautiful in God's sight is the death of the righteous. I think, and it just occurs to me, why is it beautiful? Because a righteous person has expended themselves completely. You know, they say John Wesley, when he died, he had like no money or like 2p or something to his name and a spoon someone gave him or something. And he'd spent literally the equivalent of millions of pounds on the poor and on God's church. He spent himself completely. God wants you to be exhausted, not tired, weighed down, burdened by cares, but he wants all the good stuff he's given in you poured out. Because when we do that, that is life itself. That's God's shrewdness. You think of the the intelligence and the energy and the, the passion he put into planning your salvation and mine, the painstaking insight that he had. How much he went through. The people he partnered with to bring about our salvation. God is shrewd. God is shrewd. As we exhaust our resources, and this is the meaning of verse 10, as we're faithful with what God has given us, he gives us more. He gives us more. If we're unfaithful with it, he's not going to give us more until we learn how to be. You know, three, most, three of the most common healing miracles Jesus did in, the in his ministry were um, he brought hearing and he brought sight and he made the lame walk. And you can see in that pattern, the kind of pattern of how the Christian life works. God opens our ears so that we can hear his words to us. I love you. As we hear his words to us, I love you, he opens our eyes so that we can see people as God sees them. And we can say to them, I love you. And as we see people as God sees them, he heals our legs and he enables us to serve. He says, get up and walk so that we can love them in action. But this is, it's a cycle. As we go into action, as we love more, we hear more clearly. As we hear more clearly God's love for us, we see people more clearly as beloved by God. As we love them more, we want to serve them more. And so it goes on and on and on. That's what Jesus is saying here. Be faithful with what I've given you. Exhaust yourself in your shrewdness, in your handling of money. And I'll fill you with goodness. What an amazing thing God promised us. To know his love and to love like him. Isn't that worth the effort? So we've got up these steps. Justice and fear of judgment. Wisdom, prudence. And thirdly, love. What do we do? But that's the thing, isn't it, really? It's kind of, it'd be nonsense, in a sense, for me to say, let's be shrewd and then finish the message with, so, non-specifically, go and try harder. <laughs> that's exactly what God's not saying to us this morning. It's like saying, do specific things. So I'm going to give you, in like three minutes, he said optimistically, 
really, really um, quick practical things. That they're all. I think you'll find all of these in scripture. I'm not going to give you the references because it will make it a really long finish to the sermon. Firstly, we should take a reflective approach to our finances. That means we should count how much you've got, plan how much you're going to spend, act on your plans, and review periodically to make sure it's all working, and then make realistic plans. (laughs) Because your first plans are never realistic. Might get an amen for that. (laughs) If you're too busy to plan, to count, to plan, to act and reflect, you're too busy and you can't love. And God's saying, slow down, and I'll, you know, I'll give you more capacity if you take that Sabbath opportunity. So take a reflective approach. You might want to write these down if you've got a pen. Secondly, be disciplined. So fasting, literal fasting from food is incredibly helpful for our ability to um, manage all of our appetites that can get out of control. So fast is good. Fast from food. And I think... Okay, you won't find this one specifically in the Bible, but fasting from shopping is really, really good. Actually, having days or weeks or months <laughs> or seasons or years when you don't buy anything that you don't actually need, it's, it's really good for the soul. Cancel the Amazon Prime subscription. <laughs> You're buying more than you need, says the Lord. So fast, set limits. Actually, like, have a kind of like, I'm not going to spend more than this. Even if you don't need to, set limits. Why is it, you know, this isn't just about justice. It's also about love. Because if you set limits, you'll have lots of stuff left over to bless people. Give proportionally. Actually say, from my income, I'll tithe. You know, many people tithe. I don't, I'm not going to stand up here and say it's commanded in the New Testament that you have to give 10% of your money to the church. I don't think that's true. I think actually... Everyone, every Christian has a duty to support the church financially to make sure it can carry out its ministry. And if you're not doing that, you should be. And this is my really convenient opportunity to mention that from the pulpit. And you should be helping the poor. But also, in addition to these minimum duties that you have, got that one in as well. (laughs) If you apportion and say, from my income, I will give. I will try to give a percentage. It's an incredibly good discipline because actually generosity it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Actually, it's something you have to work at. And actually, saying I'm going to give two percent, three percent, then five percent, then ten percent. Before you know, it, you'll be giving a lot more than you start, started off with because you've developed that discipline. So give proportionally. Have rules where you love your neighbour as yourself. Like if there's something, some treat that you like for your family or for yourself, you spend money on every month. God isn't saying you don't do that anymore. But he's saying love your neighbour as yourself. So if you spend, I don't know, 10 quid or something like that on something nice and you've got another 10 left over, why not give that to the poor, to a charity, to the church or whatever? And, and make a rule. Like have, you know, talk about it with your, with your wife or your husband or your kids and say, this is what we're going to do now. And see how it affects your spending patterns. How are we doing? Like one and a half minutes. Uh, be thrifty, not lazy. Um, I'm just going to leave that on there. Be aware. We live in a culture where, you know, we're surrounded by companies marketing to, marketing to us all the time. And frankly, they tell us they want to do us a favour. They just want your money. <laughs> it's really that simple. When you walk down the aisle at Sainsbury's and there's a buy one, get one free, they're not trying to bless you. They just want more money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Where, like Amazon Prime, it's seven ninety nine for unlimited delivery, and you get free music and videos. That's a really good deal. They're not doing it because they like you. They're doing it because if you have if you have next day delivery unlimited, you will buy loads of stuff off them. Be aware, like we, this is what we live in. We're living in this really weird culture. God wants us to be aware of that stuff. Is that okay? Is this too? Is this like? <laughs> Make informed, not impulse decisions. What's it? Oh, some Mercedes advert. I was trying to watch the rugby. Some Mercedes advert comes on. I mean, I can't afford it anyway. Like XC35 or something. And it's beautiful. It's so shiny. (laughs) (laughs) And it's useless. I mean, is it better than than this car or that car? Maybe a little bit. Twice as much better? Three times as much better? Enough to rob the poor for? No. You'll like it for a few months. And then you realize most of that like of it is because you're proud and people are looking at you and you feel like you're better than them and then you'll feel rubbish. Then you have to repent and you have to sell it and you'll lose loads of money. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, we are being conditioned into making impulse purchases all the time. We should, as Christians, this is the point, right? It's laborious. It's hard to go, why should I buy this car, not that car? Let me think about that. And then spend like three hours making a spreadsheet of a cost alternatives. It's laborious and boring and that sort of thing. But it's just. And it makes sense. And it's loving. I mean, not necessarily a spreadsheet, but whatever your version is, you know. And to buy something for a reason. There are good reasons to buy new stuff. It's not all bad. You know, we don't have to like live on thrift shop clothes and 28-year-old cars. Well, some of us do. (laughs) The second one. Okay, I've got over my three minutes. I'm going to go a bit faster. Um, oh, don't be vicariously selfish. So like, what I mean by that is about if you're like blessing others by living according to those rules, making an impulse purchase for your children. Well, you know, impulse can be generosity. That's good. And that's a, that's the thing you have to balance. But it's like, you know, don't break the bank to show your loved ones that you love them and thereby act unjustly or unwisely or unlovingly. And remind yourself of the big picture. Remind yourself of this, what we're talking about today. Acknowledge the risk. Say, you know, Lord, I don't want to become, you know, screw-charted. I don't want to become selfish. I don't want to become a bean counter. No, don't. <laughs> remind yourself of these things and think through, you know, what I've said today and, and cultivate an attitude of generosity. Sometimes do things spontaneously. Sometimes, you know, just cultivate that whole attitude of generosity and spontaneity, because that underpins it all. It's love that counts, after all. Where are we? Fifthly, take risks. Take risks with your money. Invest in stuff, you know, if it makes sense, and it's an opportunity to make money, to give money away. It's good to take risks. As long as they're, you know, prudent ones, as long as they're within the bounds of, I'm not talking about gambling or speculating on highly fluctuating stocks. Be energetic. Do the small things, but try big things as well. Try big things as well. You know what came to mind is that chap who came, um, your friend Giancarlo, the businessman, who came to um, the meal we had in the church. I can't remember his name. Sorry. This Sydney. Sydney. Yeah. But I, this guy I met, Sydney, he came, and I was chatting to him for like two minutes, and he asked me about India, and he asked me what we did, and he was immediately he was making plans. 
And he was saying, you know, I've got this building in a city, and I, maybe like we can make some kind of connection. We could do this, and we could start college. And, and he was like a million miles ahead of me. And I'm guessing he's probably like that as a person. He told me like he'd sold a million foldable protractors or something in India. Like he had an idea and he did it. Why? Not just to be, not just to be business successful. I'm guessing that he's because he's a friend of yours that he does it to be generous. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, so try take risks. Cultivate relationships. Relationships, at the end of the day, being relational is the thing that drives it all. Love is the thing that drives that highest reason why we do this. And when you're in a relationship, it, it's, so, it's such a powerful driver. This is actually the, re- the reason why, before we knew about Robinson and Gilgal, the reason why I was praying for that connection was because relationships are the things that kind of make this stuff work automatically. If you've got a good, someone you know and someone you love and you have a relationship with, and they need food, and you've got more than you need. You act justly. Makes sense, right? Also, like, it's, it's prudent as well. Like, we as a church, we have an incredible inheritance in India. We've got like 80 graduates preaching the gospel who love you guys and have been praying for you guys and fasting for us as a church. And it's making a difference to our spiritual lives. And, you know, if you go to India, I can definitely put you in touch with people who would look after you. You know, it's, Amazing inheritance. And the spiritual side, when we get to heaven, all those people are going to be like, it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> you were the ones that helped me. That enabled me to go and plant a church and see hundreds of people saved. And it's love as well. It's an actual opportunity to look someone in the eyes and say, you're made in the image of God. I'm going to, I'm going to love you like God. And I'm not going to forsake you. Just as God doesn't forsake us. No matter what comes, hard or easy, you know, whether you make a mistake or not, we're going to be together. That's really powerful. So cultivate relationships. Lastly, be gracious to yourself. Like Jesus, you know, I said he's not like that master who just sees the surface. He knows the secrets of our hearts in a negative and a positive sense. He knows why you find it hard to give. And he knows just what proportion of that is laziness or selfishness and just what is you just don't know what to do, or what is the strength you haven't developed. He knows all that stuff. And he's incredibly gracious. He knows that there are some things that are beyond you, and some things that you excel at. And he knows that it takes a really long time to figure those things out. He knows like it's really hard to model generosity to your kids. Oh, by giving to other people without embittering them. That's a really hard thing to do. It's really, it takes a long time to figure out how to do that. And you'll make many mistakes. And Jesus isn't there looking over your shoulder going, oh, you got it wrong again. Patient and kind and generous hearted. So this is for all we talked about justice and fear at the beginning. God is so patient with us if we set our face towards what he sets his face towards. And we want to journey with him. He doesn't care how long it takes or how many times we trip as long as we're walking with him. Anyway, if you do all those things, I promise three things. You will find out that you have more money than you realize. For almost all of you, that's true. The second thing, you will be amazed at how much good you can do. And thirdly, you will be totally blown away by how much God will bless you. Let's pray.